once I got the keys and I started to get the bills, I quickly realized that this mortgage was going to take up about 70% of my income, 70%. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete proven step-by-step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Andy Hill. Andy, are you ready to rock? I'm ready for this, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah, let's do it. Now, I'm going to introduce you to the audience. Andy is the award-winning blogger and podcaster behind Marriage, Kids, and Money, which reminds me of a song by Warren Zevon. Send lawyers, guns, and money. The shit has hit the fan. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. It makes me think of that song, which his show, this podcast is and blog is dedicated to helping young families build wealth and thrive. Andy's advice and personal finance experience has been featured in major media outlets like Business Insider, Market Watch, and NBC News, trusted as a personal finance influencer by national financial brands like Quicken Loans. Andy's message of family financial empowerment has resonated with listeners, readers, and viewers across the U.S. When he's not talking money, Andy enjoys wrestling with his two kids and singing karaoke with his wife. Andy, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Oh, man, I think you did a great job. But yeah, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Nicole, for the past 10 years and father to my two amazing children, Zoe and Calvin. And yeah, I started the podcast just to help young families like, like us to grow their wealth, to protect their children, to kind of create that life that they've always wanted. So I wanted to create this format to not only help others, but to inspire myself to be a better father. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. That's awesome. What would you say is the most unexpected thing that that you have gained from doing the podcast, you know, over the time you've done it that you didn't think about when you started it? Oh, I would say just the expanding of a network of individuals and now friends that I never expected after now 160 interviews, 160 episodes, three years of doing it. I have met and become friends with some of the most amazing people in the world. And I'm so honored to have those new friendships, not only because I've learned from them, but also just connecting with like-minded people who are working on creating a positive impact in their lives as well as on the world has just filled my heart up. It's incredible. That's fantastic. In fact, what's interesting about that is that a lot of times people go into podcasting thinking about their audience, but they kind of forget the fact that they're building great relationships with the people that they're interviewing. So great, great lesson. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, Andrew. So when I was 22, I was really excited about something that I was going to do, my first big investment, and that was buying my first house. Because I had heard up until that point 
the years leading up to it. The best thing you can do with your money is to buy a home, become a homeowner. And I was excited about it. I had saved a lot of money throughout college and working odd jobs in high school. I had saved up $20,000 by 22. And that was a big deal for me because I had worked hard and I felt really proud of that. So I ended up looking in a great suburb where a lot of young people were living after they graduate college. And I found a $200,000 house and I said, okay, well, let's buy that house. So I put 10% down on it and bought the home was excited about it. It was going to be my bachelor pad close to, close to downtown so I could hang out with some friends. And once I got the keys and I started to get the bills, I quickly realized that this mortgage was going to take up about 70% of my income, 70%. So it was a sharp realization because not only was the mortgage a lot, but things started breaking you know, the HVAC kind of needed a little bit of work. The roof needed in replacing. And I quickly realized that I did not have the income or the funds to properly fund this investment, quote unquote, that I had plunged all of my savings into. I stopped going out with friends as much. I sold a lot of my worldly possessions, my CDs, my DVDs. eBay became a big, you know, funder of my life at that point, just trying to sell things because I was trying to do the responsible thing of, of buying a home. I ended up taking out a HELOC on my home to keep up with my living and, and trying what is, to have what a little is that? bit of fun. What is a HELOC? Oh, I'm sorry, a home equity line of credit. So you borrow on the equity of your home in order to... I guess for me, it was just to keep living and enjoying life a little bit more. So it's essentially a credit card, but on your house <laughs> with a lot lower interest rate. So I ended up going into a little bit of debt and things just started to get a lot tighter than I thought. I ended up paying uh, private mortgage insurance because I ended up, my down payment was less than 20%. So the bills started to rack up, the debt started to rack up and it just all of a sudden put me in the spot of, man, this was not the investment that I thought it was going to be. So I ended up getting some roommates to help me kind of pay for my living expenses. Some of them worked out, some of them didn't. And it was just one of those situations where it kind of put myself in a position that I never really thought I was going to be in based on doing the responsible thing. Even a few years later, the, the housing market kind of crashed where I'm from here in Metro Detroit. My $200,000 house ended up dropping in value to around $100,000. So the bank, which I took the home equity line of credit on, said, okay, we can't let you borrow any more money on your home equity line of credit because you have no equity in your home. I had some job opportunities to move to Chicago. I couldn't take them because I was so underwater on this home. I met a, the woman of my dreams in LA and I wanted to move out there and be with her, but I couldn't because I was stuck with this home. So... That was probably one of the worst <laughs> investments I've ever made in my life. And how did you get out of that? Yeah, so what I did to kind of get out of that mess is I continued to grow my income. So I would pay down the mortgage further so I could get back above water. Luckily, over time, the housing market continued to rise and I just... I had to sit with it for a little while, which was a shame because the good feelings I had about making this purchase of responsibility and being financially savvy kind of went towards, man, this was a bad investment. It's something that I was stuck with 
for 10 years of my life. And so instead of having those good warm feelings, I had resentment, I had disappointment, I had kind of a feeling of failure. So I ended up kind of, you know, working the numbers and growing my income and trying to pay down the mortgage, but eventually I just needed to sell it. So that's how we got out of it. (laughs) And how hard was it to sell it when you finally made that decision? It was very tough because I had sunk so much money into it, not only for fixing the roof and just general repairs, but we had done some updates to the kitchen and the backyard. And all in all, when I sold the thing, I barely broke even. You know, I ended up selling it for $225,000. I bought it for two hundred. dollars But man, did I put a lot more than $25,000 into it at that point. And Mm. after 10 years of owning a home or something that's supposed to go up in value that much over time, it was very disappointing. (laughs) And when you finally closed on the sale of the house, how did you Mm -hmm. feel? I felt relieved, unfortunately. I mean, I was hoping that it would be one of those things where I bought it a long time ago and I sold it for a profit and I said, oh, that was a good business decision or a good investment. But yeah, I felt kind of disappointed. I felt like it was one of those things that I missed the ball on a little bit. And Mm. I know a lot of it had to do with the drop in the overall market and, you know, you got to buy when it's low and sell when it's high, but it was very disappointing overall. Mm. So what lessons did you learn? Well, the first lesson that I learned is don't buy more house than you can afford. You know, I received this loan from Chase Bank when I was 22 years old and I was making $28,000 a year as a, you know, a coordinator at an agency that I worked at. So it was sort of an irresponsible thing for me to get, but I, you know, it's probably also an irresponsible loan to give out. But yeah, don't buy more house than you can afford. And I made a promise after that, after that home purchase that I would never buy a home that took up more than 25% of my after-tax income because- Mm -hmm. I didn't like the feeling that the mortgage gave me, which is sort of on my back, gave me a lot of stress and felt like this is something I'm feeling stuck with. So I never wanted to feel like that again. So I didn't want to buy any more house than I could afford. And then I didn't want to uh, buy a home again that took up more than 25% of my after-tax income. Got it. Got it. Well, let me summarize some of the things I take away. It kind of hits home for me because I never, basically never bought a house. And, you know, I'm 54 now and it just didn't, it really couldn't happen that easily when I was in, you know, when I moved to Thailand where I lived, there was reasons why it couldn't happen. Also, I didn't really have the money in the beginning when I came here, but then I just, I just wasn't interested in the burden of that. And I saw a house as a trap. And I always wanted, and I grew up in Ohio and then I moved to California and then I wanted to move to Thailand and anything that would trap me into a place scared me. And so I always saw these things as traps that you're going to be locked into. It's a little bit like the reason, maybe it's the same feeling that I talk about when I talk about people who want to do a startup business. I'm like, just be prepared to be trapped for the next five years if you're lucky and 10 If you're not, (laughs) you know, and if you're really unlucky, you just lose it all. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I take away, I really like what you talked about is, you know, basically less than 25% of your after-tax income. And I really kept my, I've lived in the same place now for 16 years in Bangkok, which is, and the price has hardly gone up. And I live here with my mom. And I really took pride in the idea 
that I was living well, well below my means. And I learned early on that a human, you know, what, when I say at the end of this podcast, what I'm going to say is that, you know, your story is part of helping us create, grow, and protect our wealth. And what I learned is that the creation of wealth happens between the gap of income and expense. It's not the amount of income. It's not even that you own a business. You know, let's say rich dad, poor dad tells you, oh, you got to own a business like your rich dad. No, that's not necessary. What's necessary is the gap between your income and your expense is as wide as possible. And that is how you create wealth. Then what do you do with that? How do you invest it? I always say the stock market is there to grow that wealth, not to create that wealth. So you give me a good reminder of keeping the costs, you know, low. Also, the third thing I take away is that, you know, the American dream or the dream of home ownership is, you know, really to me is I have no interest in it. I have interest in doing what's right for me and what I feel, you know, is suitable for me. And I would encourage the listeners, whenever you hear people talk about, you know, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Always ask, who said that? <laughs> Why did they say that? You know, ask deeper questions about it because in fact, you don't have to do it. And I'm just going to tell one last little story. I, I got a lot out of your story. Andy. I'm, I'm glad. It. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, the last one I just wanted to highlight was when my father passed away, I was going through his stuff. And one of the things, um, and I was reviewing this with my mom not too long ago. One of the things that I found was he wrote down the, the price uh, that he bought and sold every house and the date that that happened and in his lifetime. And I looked at it and I, you know, the calculation was maybe overall an average annual return of maybe one or 2%, which, you know, better than losing money. However, it doesn't take into consideration what you talked about, about the maintenance and the insurance and the this and the that. It was just the straight selling price. So if you look at what he actually spent, then it was a losing investment. Now, of course, sentimentally, sentimental wise, it's what he wanted to do. And my mom and dad had a very peaceful life living in those homes. But it really reminds me that, you know, home ownership, you know, unless you obviously are lucky or you really research it and you get the right place, it is not the best investment out there. So anything I missed or anything you'd add to what I've said? No, I, I love that. And I, your point on number one is something that not only I felt, I felt trapped, but a lot of Americans can feel trapped by what we dub as the American dream. So to your point, listen to who's giving you the advice, figure out their situation. Is it really a dream or is it just something that we continue to tell each other to do because it's the quote unquote right thing to do? Yeah. And to the listeners who are thinking about that, just go find the oldest person in your family and ask them, how did you buy expensive things in the old days? And they'll say, we saved up. And when we had enough money, we bought it. So there are other ways than just borrowing money to do that. So, all right. Now, based upon what you've learned from this and what you've continued to learn in your life, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And let's think of that, you know, Mary or Joe, who's out there, just got their first job. They're out of school. They've heard that it's the American dream. They're getting ready to sign on the line. What do you tell them? I would say to plan out a budget beforehand that 
showcases your entire living costs or your potential living costs. So your mortgage, what's it going to take up in your income? How much of your income is that going to take up? Also look at things like, which is not normally factored in, furnishing your home. Furniture, drapes, just things you never thought you were ever going to buy. You need to go through and figure out what those things are and make a plan for it. Plan for repair costs. These things could go in a budget and then you can look at it and say, is this going to be a lot tighter than I planned for? Am I going to have to scale back on things that I love like going out with my friends or just simply going to the movies or eating out at restaurants, whatever you like to do, or is it going to be so tight that you're going to have to downsize on your cars? Think about those things before you make the largest purchase in your life and make sure that you factored in some things like an emergency fund so you're not relying on credit cards or a home equity line of credit to cover you in situations like I had with a roof replacement or fixing the HVAC. It's great advice. And I think there's actually each one of, you know, the listeners out there probably has a pretty good resource in accumulating that budget by talking to their parents or their grandparents or the people that own the homes that they've lived in, in their life, because they're experiencing those bills. And now you, you start to realize when your mom or dad goes, God, those curtains cost so much. <laughs> now you'll realize exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Well, it kind of fits in really well here. We're planning on buying our first rental property, but we're going to buy it with cash. So mm. we've been saving up for quite a while. We currently live in our home that we bought in 2013 without a mortgage now. We paid off our mortgage a couple of years ago because we liked the fact of living in a home and having it be a blessing instead of a curse. So we want to do the same thing as we start to invest in real estate. We want to look at rental properties, but only ones that we can buy with cash because mm. no mortgage might equal no worries. Right. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, go to myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Andy, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful <laughs> talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And of course, I congratulate you on taking your worst investment ever and turning it into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I would just say before making any big investment, do a lot of research first, plan it out, and make sure it's a good fit for you in your specific situation. Great advice. And in fact, after accumulating all of the stories and looking at them and analyzing them, what is the most common mistake, number one, most common mistake that people make that brings them into their worst investment ever is that they fail to do their own research. And so you've hit it right on the head, Andy. Take your time, do your research. Don't let anybody rush you into it. And by doing that, it's going to help you to create, grow, and protect your well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.